You're listening to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. Yes, welcome to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. Well, how are enterprise agreements made? These are the documents which set out the paying conditions for most coal miners. And exactly how have labour hire companies used these agreements, especially in the last five years or so, to dud miners of pay and conditions? Well, today we're going to lift the doona on enterprise agreements and see what's underneath, get to the bare facts, uh, with the union's top legal eagle. This is National Legal Director Alex Bukaritsa. Welcome, Alex. Thank you, Tim. Good to be here. Now, you've been with the union for about 32 years, so you kind of might know what you're talking about, is that? Hopefully I do after that time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, look, can we talk about the, in, the legal mm. instruments that set out the paying conditions that workers get. And the way you've spoken to me about it is it's kind of like three safety nets, if you like. If a walk, worker falls off the off the high board, um, there's something's going to pick them up, one of the three. Can you run through these three? Sure, Tim. Um, so the, the thing to understand is that uh, most uh, workers in Australia uh, are covered by the Fair Work Act. And within the Fair Work Act, there is uh, essentially a three-level uh, safety net, as you've as you've mentioned, at the top of that safety net, or really at the bottom, I should say, because it's it's uh, what all workers the under most the, basic, the most yeah. basic uh, entitlements is the uh, national employment standards. Now, the national employment standards cover a number of key employment conditions, such as personal and carers' leave, annual leave, and maximum ordinary hours. Right, so these are. Um, conditions which say, for example, that every worker in Australia covered by the Fair Work Act gets ten days annual, uh, ten days uh, personal leave, yep. uh, four weeks annual leave, and uh, any hours over thirty-eight worked in a working week counts as overtime. Right. So yep. th- these are very basic. That's the bottom net. That's, that's cemented the, that, that's in every worker in Australia. Every worker covered by the Fair Work Act, now, which some, is about eighty-five percent, eighty-five percent or more. Yeah. So basically, everyone in the private sector, more or less. Anyone that works for a company that's that's incorporated um, will be covered by the Fair Work Act, and that's basically the entirety of the coal mining industry and the uh, power generation industry and related sectors that we cover. So uh, it's the fair it's the federal system which applies. Now the second uh, level of safety net is the award system. Now the award system is a ser- set of um, industry documents that are issued by the Fair Work Commission which is a body which uh, listens to claims by employers and employees and then decides on those claims. Um, the award system is set up also to be a minimum set of standards. So it's uh, whilst it contains important conditions, and those conditions in the coal mining industry and most other industries are above the NES, they're still not really um, uh, reflecting of what the actual rates of pay are in, in most industries. What's an example of something in the award? Can you give an example? Yeah, well, so the award will say uh, for coal mine workers, you've got you're entitled to fifteen days personal leave per year, okay? And uh, rather than ten, rather which than the 10, bottom safety net for co- most workers gets you. Correct, yeah. correct. Um, but what the award also does is sets you know minimum rates of pay, which are well below what are the actual rates of pay paid in the in, in, in industry because of market rates. Uh, issues and because of bargaining by the union, right? So um, the, the the best way to look at an award is that it's a sort of a, a skeleton of 
the main industry conditions, um, but the rates of pay and the application of those conditions isn't as generous as would be the case under the, the third level of safety net, which is an enterprise agreement. Now, just to break that term down, enterprise means as in a business. As in a business, a yeah. A corporation. That, well, it, it, it's, it's your... A mine. A yeah. mine. It could be a mine. It could be a company uh, contracting within the mine. Uh, it could be part of a business. Um, the Act allows it to be defined in a number of different ways. But it's essentially one uh, enterprise, one workplace uh, and um, that's it. You know, it's a part of the system which probably we think should be improved. In that, we think there should be an ability to have enterprise agreements or industrial agreements to apply across an industry. But the system we've got focuses on an individual enterprise. And this is where you do most of your work. So if a worker falls off the trapeze, mm. it's that first net, the yes. enterprise agreement, which catches them mostly. Below that, they've got the the Black Coal Industry Award. That's correct, yes. And they've got the National Employment Standards. But if they fall that far, they've really gone a long way down. It's the enterprise agreement which is the main thing that the union deals in, right, negotiates. Correct. The the enterprise agreement system, uh, is, which is really a collective bargaining system, that's, you know, the, the, you know we prefer the word collective bargaining or collective agreement, um, is where the union acts collectively with its, with its members, or the members are the union, to improve their actual uh, wages and conditions. It's the area where, uh, throughout the world, that if, you know, where there is a collective bargaining system, it's the opportunity for workers to get a better share um, of uh, the, um, the profits of the enterprise. Okay. So we've got the three safety nets. Mm. I get that now. Can you t- talk to me about how labour hire companies have been using this system of nets, if you like, to dud workers? Okay. Well, we've got to understand here that there's there's really a, a fundamental distinction between genuine collective bargaining, which is what the union engages in, and uh, what the labour hire companies have been doing over the last few years. Now, genuine collective bargaining is workers getting together uh, with the assistance of their union, um, meeting employers on relatively equal terms because of their collective um, strength and negotiating an outcome which is better than what they've previously had, okay? Um, This type of uh, pretend uh, enterprise bargaining, this fake enterprise bargaining that the uh, labour hire companies engage in is simply a way of trying to uh, lock in very low minimum rates of pay uh, so that they can bid for uh, labour hire contracts uh, which undercut workers who are permanently employed. And the way they do this is by um, uh, essentially locking in the minimum award as the enterprise agreement. So the minimum award for coal mining industry workers would say, for example, that uh, the the rate of hourly rate of pay is $26 an hour, okay, for argument's sake. Uh, the equivalent rate of pay, the hourly rate of pay for somebody working for Glencore or... Um, um, uh, Yankol or one of the other <coughs> under an enterprise agreement under an enterprise agreement would be perhaps double that almost double that so they they lock in this low rate of pay they're then able to tender anywhere between uh, that minimum rate of pay and what the direct employees get but it's always below what the direct employees get and that way they they win contracts now sorry and then what they do is my understanding from working on mm. the podcast and talking mm. to you is 
they go from having two casual employees that they kind of lean on to sign this agreement to beefing it up to 20, 50, 200. And so the proportion of people on this agreement at any given mine is greater and gets greater. Absolutely. I mean, that's the real... um, uh, you know, sin or, or, or a real um, travesty with this system because um, what the Fair Work Act basically says is uh, the minimum conditions for an enterprise agreement are this, that there are at least two employees covered by it, so it's not an individual agreement, uh, and that it, the agreement passes the better off overall test and a couple, and some procedural steps that have to be taken. Now, what the labour hire companies normally do is they'll set up a new company They'll employ two casual workers, maybe three, maybe four if they're being, you know, um, generous. And uh, they'll say to these workers as soon as they turn up, uh, well, you know, there's a job here for you, but we really need this enterprise agreement. Now, you're not, we don't really prefer you not to have the union involved. Um, Keep this quiet. Um, In 21, here's some documentation. Uh, In 21 days, we'll ask you to vote on this agreement. And what, because 21 days is the minimum Mm. period under the Fair Work Act. And, of course, these workers are casuals. They're, they've got no bargaining power. They've got no support from the union because the union doesn't know uh, this is happening. Uh, and they're effectively voting in uh, an agreement which is going to lock in uh, the minimum award for the next four years. Now, this is the thing when you said it to me yesterday that got me excited and I had that aha moment because if they just employed people on the award, the second safety net, right, which is basically what they're employing them on anyway if you look at the actual fine print of what they're agreeing to, mm. then they can still take industrial action. This is my aha moment. You said the reason they sign them on this four-year agreement, and they, they usually are four years, the maximum possible, because mm. you can't go on strike in that four years. If they just employed them on the award, then they could take industrial action. So it's a very sneaky manoeuvre. Yeah, it's, it's outrageous, really, um, because uh, if the workers do decide that they're being ripped off and, and they want to bargain for a better uh, position, their only choices are to wait another four years or to take strike action, which could expose them to fines and expose the union to fines, uh, or worse, depending on the, uh, the action. Alex, I know one question that members raise with you when they're discussing dodgy uh, labour hire company EAs is... Why can workers be employed as casuals on an EA when the award does not allow for casuals? Well, the the answer to that question, Tim, is simply this, that when uh, the Fair Work Commission assesses enterprise agreements uh, against the better off overall test, the boot, uh, it's not necessary for the award to contain a particular provision. Um, All that has to happen, or should I say the enterprise agreement to contain a particular provision, all that... Uh, the Commission has to do is to ensure that when uh, you look at their enterprise agreement overall, that employees are no worse off or better off overall. And that means that uh, employers have bowled up these uh, uh, casual provisions in, in enterprise agreements and the Commission's judged that they do pass the better off overall test, even though the award doesn't contain uh, a casual provision. Now we've strenuously opposed that, particularly in the in the amongst the labour hire agreements, uh, even at the full bench level. Uh, but that means the, your lawyers standing up in court saying, you know, you worship your honour, this yeah. is wrong, this is just not on. Correct, and that's still a view we have that, uh, particularly in this uh, amongst these dodgy labour hire agreements, the the workers are clearly, in our view, worse off because they're 
in precarious employment. They can be sacked at any time. Uh, and even with the 25% loading, they're getting much less than a, a, a minor on a, a, a union EA. Absolutely. I mean, that's the whole that's, that's the whole rort here, as we've discussed a bit earlier, uh, that these casual employees are basically guaranteed only the, the bare award rate, uh, and the 25% is based on that. And so... Uh, the Commission, I suppose, uh, takes a, a, a minimalist view about what the boot comprises, the better off overall, to, uh, overall test comprises. And I suppose to be fair to them, the, the legislation says uh, the comparison is between you know, the award safety net rather than industry standards, which is what we're trying to you know, ensure and, and enforce. So even if you're there, uh, you know, in front of the full bench, you stand up in court and you say, but this is this is not a, this is a bad use, this is dudding people ultimately, their job is to compare the labour hire EA to the second safety net, the award, not to the industry standard EAs, which is what we, we're calling the first safety net. Um, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Can I just just pick you up on, and this is, I suppose this is why you want the law changed ultimately. Yeah, we do. Uh, we want uh, the better off overall test to actually reflect uh, the going rate or the industry rate in a particular workplace or industry. Uh, but to do that, we have to change the award system so it actually resembles uh, um, what's paid to workers in, in industries where there's collective bargaining rather than being the barest possible safety net. So there's a few things that need to happen, um, but uh, ultimately the, the real problem with the system is that these enterprise agreements are being assessed against a, a safety net which is way below what workers are actually paid. It's, it's apples and oranges. They're comparing apples and oranges. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that becomes the boot test. And I don't want to get into the whole casual mm. uh, campaign you've got to get rid of casuals mm. because that is a 20-minute discussion in itself. Yeah. So let's leave that. And we've, we've covered that plenty on the podcast. Mm. Um, you're taking it to, I think that's, the, is that in the federal court? Or? It's, it's actually landed now in the High Court of Australia, so right. the highest court in the land, and uh, that'll be heard at some stage during this year. They just don't want to let go, um, and that's for, for obvious reasons. Well, just one last thing on casual provisions mm. in EAs. Um, members also say, but hold on, there is casual provisions in some union EAs. There is, uh, but the crucial difference here, Tim, is that those casual provisions are in uh, agreements which reflect industry union negotiated rates of paying conditions. So if someone's a casual under a union negotiated uh, agreement, uh, they're actually getting paid 25% more than their permanent counterparts, not 30 or 40% below yep. what their permanent They're getting the full are. whack. They're getting the full Rolls-Royce EA, yeah. um, and then they're getting 25% on top. So they're actually getting a proper a proper go. As it should be. That's right. Yeah. Just while we're talking about these nasty little dud agreements that mm. they do, um, I've always wondered why they keep them as casuals. Now, you might say to me, well, because you can sack a casual. In fact, you don't even need to sack a casual. You just stop giving them shifts. You don't have to. It's not like when you mm. sack a permanent employee, there's forms, there's warnings, there's all mm. kinds of palaver and administration. Mm. But you said it's more than that. It's because administratively, it's cheaper. You don't need as much, as many people in the pay office. Mm. Can you just explain that super quickly? Yeah, so what happens is you, you uh, when you employ someone as a casual, you purportedly pay them um, uh, a casual loading. And uh, that covers, you know, annual leave, sick, you know, sick leave, etc. So you don't have to uh, and, uh, have, you know, detailed pay records which which deal with accruals and those sort of issues, shift penalties and uh, bits and pieces. What they do, these labour hire companies just do, is pay people a, um, a lump 
hourly rate and everything's included. So it's, it's, it's much simpler for them administratively. They save on back-of-office expenses. Yeah, back um, of, you know, and, and you know, these, these labour hire companies are really, you know, they're, they're often two, two people with a laptop um, when they first set up and a contact list and that's it. You know, that's it. That's, that's uh, their whole extent of their business. They produce nothing. They create nothing. They're just simply um, body hire merchants. Yeah. All right. I want to now go to um, these agreements and the way that – and I think this is happening on social media. Mm. People are saying – some of these agreements, though, Alex, the union is a party to. When we go and look at the mm. documents, mm. we see the CFMEU M&E in it, right? Yep. Why is that? Because there's a very interesting reason why you get involved at all with these DUD agreements. Yeah. So sometimes, Tim, what happens is uh, we get a, told of these these agreements are, are happening, and there might be uh, might be more than three workers. There might be a few um, in a labour hire company. Some of them are members of the union. And they say, look. Come, come and see us. You know, we, we don't like what's happening. We'll get involved, and what we'll find out is that the, there's only a minority of workers there who are union members or, or who are prepared to say anything. And so, what the Fair Work Act basically says is, if a majority of workers vote for vote for an agreement and it passes the better off overall test and the other procedural things that have to happen, then it's made right. It's it's done, and and the union doesn't have a veto. The union can't say, well, this is below industry standard. Um, it shouldn't be approved because uh, it's not industry standard which counts, it's the minimum, you know, boot uh, and other tests. So in those situations, we often uh, in a position of having to make a decision about whether um, we disagree with the agreement, we don't like it, um, but feel, feel compelled to be covered by the agreement so that we can represent members under that agreement, okay? So it's one of those situations where a lack of bargaining power, a lack of um, a collective strength means that we have to make a decision to stay with it uh, and uh, be there to support the workers under that agreement. So the, members. F- the fact that you're a party to some of these data agreements does not mean you approve them or you like them. It's no. just if you're not, you can't get involved to help members who are covered by it. As the union, that's right. So Because we're not, we don't have any legal rights in respect to that, that okay. agreement. All right. Uh, look, it's fascinating stuff. Uh, let's quickly move to um, the way that uh, these different industrial instruments, these different legal mm. agreements, these different safety nets, if you like, are actually enforced. We can go through this quite quickly. Sure. If I have an issue mm. as a miner and I come to the union and say, I've got an issue, what's the what's the process? What, what should I um, expect different courts, commissions, mm. coroner's inquiries? People get confused sometimes about the legal process sure sure so if you're a member of the union and you're under the one of the enterprise agreements that we're party to the normal um, process is that if you've got an issue on the on the on the job uh, there's a disputes procedure that you that you follow and it's usually one of those step procedures so the first step might be you raise the issue of your supervisor um, uh, and the supervisor can't fix it or doesn't agree you then go to your your delegate or lodge uh, representative, uh, and they'll meet with um, a more senior level of management. Then it goes to the mine manager. If the mine manager still doesn't agree, then it can go to the Fair Work Commission, um, and they'll either be um, mediated uh, or uh, be subject to arbitration, which is where the the commission makes a decision one way or the other. Like a court, like, a court. like an umpire, like an umpire, right? So that that's, that works in certain in terms of certain 
types of matters. The Fair Work Commission. The Fair Work Commission, right. yeah. And a lot of our disputes are done there first or, or they're, they're, they're settled there. Um, but then you've got more serious breaches of uh, either the agreement or the Fair Work Act, uh, things like you know trying to deprive people of redundancy pay or just simply uh, underpaying paying them and refusing to rectify it. In those sort of situations, we go to uh, the federal courts, either the Federal Court of Australia or the Federal Circuit Court. And these are proper okay. courts where they uh, they can fine and you know make make orders for back payment and so on. A member comes to you, touch wood, who's been injured, who's been um, uh, has got a uh, sort of compensation kind of query. Mm-hmm. Where do you take them then? Okay, so. Personal injury, uh, you know, a workers' compensation or similar uh, matter, is really a um, different sort of area to industrial law, which is what the union does in-house. Um, in those situations, if a worker's got a serious injury and there's a dispute, for example, about workers' compensation and their entitlement or their, that the employer's liable, we refer those uh, members to an external law firm that specialises in um, personal injury matters, uh, and, and they vary, it varies from state to state. Um, but what doesn't vary is the worker uh, gets supported by the union, is not out of pocket in terms of pursuing their claim, and uh, often uh, the union will fund or be in arrangement with these law firms uh, so that there's no out-of-pocket expenses for the worker. We, we either cover them or the law firm covers it. Sometimes you hear talk about coroner's uh, inquiries mm. and coroner's courts. Now, this is sadly where someone has mm. died. Mm. Um, where, where do they kick in? Okay, so in in the legislation that applies to coal mining industry in particular, uh, any death at the workplace is subject to some form of coronial inquiry or other inquiry. And the purpose of these inquiries is to establish the what they call approximate cause of the the death. Okay, so the why why it happened and uh, uh, in the manner in which it occurred, uh, and what might be ta- what steps might be taken to prevent that. Uh, and in those sort of um, inquiries or, or courts, um, the union often appears either through its industry self, uh, safety and health representatives, who are statutory officials charged with safety issues, mm. because these these people are really specialists in mine site safety. You know, they they understand. You know, transport rules. They understand gas and ventilation. They understand all these technical roof support, roof support, all these technical issues that that judges and coroners often w- wouldn't have a clue about, really. So the union has a very active role in that because we, you know, there is nothing mm. more important than uh, health and safety in terms of the priority that we place on. Uh, our members' interests. Just before we wrap up and talk about where to get a copy of an enterprise agreement, because I know a lot of people are going to listen to this and they're going to be pumped. They're going to be like, I want to see my enterprise agreement. I want to read it cover to cover. I want to laminate it. I want to put it on the back of the toilet door so I can get so familiar with it that it's just second nature. Before we go to that, can I just ask you one last question? Mm-hmm. Um, the CFMEU Mining and Energy Division, Division is very good when measured against other unions in the country at picking up some of these data agreements we were talking about before. In fact, yeah. I think over 50 you've picked up because there's no compulsion for you to be told when one of these data agreements is being slipped mm. under the doona, if you like. Yeah. Um, tell us tell us what you've done because I think you've actually knocked off about 50. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you raised that because I, I, that's one thing I didn't <laughs> mention earlier, but... Um, Look, yeah, it's true. We've we've um, 
made a great priority of trying to challenge these these agreements. Um, and there's an opportunity, a very small window, when the agreement's lodged in the Fair Work Commission and uh, uh, the commissioner or you know Fair Work Commission member has to decide whether it meets the relevant uh, tests to be approved. Now, um, it doesn't become a legally binding document till approval happens. And um, the better off overall test or boot is one of those issues. That, so it's measured against the award, whether it's better off uh, compared to the award. But another important area and where we've been really um, focused and successful is the, the, the Act also says that work, the workers must genuinely agree to the agreement. Now, we've been able to show in a lot of cases that uh, workers simply didn't understand what they were buying into. Uh, they didn't understand that for example, they weren't getting accident pay uh, as per the industry standard. They didn't understand um, that, uh, that the, the employer got complete control over rosters, for example, compared to what the, you can do under the award, a range of these sort of issues. And uh, we've now been involved in over 50 of these interventions in the Fair Work Commission, as you've mentioned. The vast majority, we've had some success either, either uh, knocking the agreement off completely mm. or uh, having them substantially improved by making the employer offer undertakings to meet certain conditions. So it's an area that we're, we're proud of. And in terms of those who might sort of criticise what we do, um, and, and nobody's perfect, obviously, but I think, you know, we, we are better than any other mm. union that I know of in, in this area. Um, I think uh, we can sum up your general advice when it comes to negotiating a, an a enterprise agreement. Don't try this at home. Don't try this at home. Yeah, look, th there's a reason why the International Labour Organisation, why the why uh, there's there's international um, conventions which talk about collective bargaining, mm. and the importance of workers banding together in a union to bargain because it's understood it's been understood for for a very long time that an individual worker uh, bargaining with his or her employer, employer is in an in un unequal bargaining position. The only way you can um, uh, shift the uh, the uh, position so that the worker is in some sort of um, fair position re relative to their employer is to get together with other workers mm -hmm. and with the expert advice and um, uh, information. That Lodge officials, provides. all that infrastructure you've got, ten, you know, decades of experience, lawyers, lawyers all the stuff yes. that means you get those really bumper agreements. Yeah. All right, if you do want to get a copy of your EA, you can ask your employer, your enterprise agreement. Um, you can also go to the union and they'll get it to you. Just email the union, the Fair Work Commission website, mm. you can get it. Mm. Well, I think we've about come to the uh, end of uh, the episode. Uh, Alex Bukaritz, uh, National Legal Director with the CFMEU Mining and Energy Division. Thank you so much for lifting the doona and looking underneath with us. It's a pleasure. <laughs>